Assalamu alaikum, this is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you're listening to the newest Heartwork series, Finding Meaning in Trial. In this series, we'll be exploring an upcoming publication that I'm working on, translating and commenting on the beautiful short text of Al-Izz bin Abdussalam called The Benefits of Trials. In this series, we'll be exploring some of the meanings and some of the benefits of trials in our lives as given to us by Al-Izz bin Abdussalam. He gives us some of the good things that we seek in life that can only come from the bad moments that we experience in life. I look forward to joining you on this series, inshallah, and having you with us. And as always, if you benefit from our work, please consider donating and becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah. Bismillah walhamdulillah. Welcome home. We begin by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thanking Him and by asking Him to send His peace and blessings upon the Prophet Muhammad and that Allah ta'ala makes us from amongst those people that will be reunited with Him in paradise. Uh, welcome everybody to what is the finale of this series insha'Allah. Not the finale of the work uh, or of heart work, but the finale of the book that we're reading, which is called Fawa'idul Balwa wal Mahan, the virtues or the benefits of trials and tribulation. Uh, or as we called it, finding meaning in trials. So this has been a, a really uh, eye opening series for me personally. Uh, it's This is a book that I've been working on translating for. Um, a few years, not necessarily the translation, because it's a pretty short book, but just the commentary and adding stories and reflections from the Quran and from the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And we've gone through a lot. You know, we the idea is that the author wants to give us coping mechanism, ways to understand why uh, why bad things happen. And I hope that these sessions have helped you. They've helped me. Uh, not to eliminate the pain, not to uh, remove the shock. For example, we know that probably as we speak, but absolutely last night, that the uh, assault and the continued genocide against the Palestinian people uh, got even worse, as if, you know, as if to wonder, subhanAllah, like how bad could it get? How bad can these people get, subhanAllah, that the bombing and the assault continues. May Allah Ta'ala give them victory. May Allah Ta'ala give the Palestinians victory and may Allah Ta'ala make their patience a victory for them. And may Allah Ta'ala allow us to be a part of the relief for them and that we see uh, a self-determined free uh, state, right, for the Palestinian people, for our brothers and sisters. Amin Ya Rab. So these moments are still going to hurt. And I think that's kind of the, the nature of what this book teaches us is that these moments are going to be difficult and they're not going to go away. And I think before we finish the series, that's an important place to start. It's also an important place to end, which is that the nature of this life is one of tests. It's one of difficulty. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not shy away, of course, no, from hiding the reality from us, which is that the nature of our existence here is that we're going to be tested. We're going to be tried. And the job of the Quran and the job of the life of the Prophet sallam, in part is to educate us and empower us to be able to handle these moments. And so tonight, the finishing touches on what 
Al-Ezbin Abdussalam, the author of this book, the finishing touches on what he says are the final suggestions of why these bad things happen. So we've talked about the ability to connect to Allah, to make dua, to practice trust in Allah, to repent to Allah, to come to know your own limitations with regards to your faith and to how to grow in that faith. These are all some of the meanings that he gave. But now we're going to read, inshallah, from the text. And this is one of the longest sections that he has. He says that tribulation and hardship, they prevent a person from doing evil. That when a person experiences tribulation and hardship, one of the silver linings of that tribulation is that had that difficulty not been present, this person may have actually become a victim to the diseases of the heart. Now, when you look at the Quran and Hadith of the Prophet you actually find that the diseases of the heart or the internal struggles that every person has are spoken about with more danger and more caution than external struggles. So I'll give you an example. Somebody goes through a difficult moment, a sickness, a challenge. In the Quran, it's addressed as being a difficulty and a challenge. But when a person has a sickness in their heart, the Quran deals with it in a much more strict way. That Allah Ta'ala says that in their heart is a sickness and their sickness only increased because of what they wanted and because of the truth by which or that which they denied. Right? So the diseases of the heart in the Quran are, get ready for this, spoken about with more severity and more challenge than even something that a person is dealing with externally. And the reason why that's the case is because ultimately, if a person believes in the afterlife, if we believe in a dunya and an akhirah, then our idea of what will affect us in the dunya is less heavy than that which will affect us in both the dunya and the akhirah. So if a person has a disease of the heart in this life, they have to live with that misery. You know, Ibn Atta'illah, he says, that one of the worst effects of sin is that you have to look in the mirror and see that that's you, right? You have to see that you're capable of this. So the person who has a, a sick heart, may Allah Ta'ala protect us. When a person has a sick heart, they live in this dunya and they don't actually enjoy it. No matter what kind of physical manifestations that they think that they're enjoying, the reality is that emptiness and that shallowness and the symptoms of that sickness will always be present. If a person has envy in their heart, doesn't matter how much Allah has given them, they will always envy somebody. Because they cannot be grateful for what they have, so they will be envious for, even if it doesn't make any sense. Somebody might actually have more or better than somebody else, but they might see one thing that another person has that Allah has given them, and that will bother them for days and weeks on end. So part of the cure that he's talking about here is he says that the reality of the human being is that when Allah gives you that giving, that provision in and of itself is a test, is a trial. And by depriving somebody from what he could give them, 
Allah is actually saving that person from becoming, and I use this phrase very literarily, the monster that they never would have wanted to become. We know the common example of like money, for example, right? If somebody has money, you know, it tends to, they say in English, the saying like, it doesn't change you, it just reveals who you really are. How many of us would live a different way if we had millions and millions of dollars? Yeah, okay, if we have, that was a rhetorical one, but yeah, raise your hands, right? We're all there. If we had millions and millions of dollars, right? We would live a different way. Now answer this question. How many of us would live different morally if we had millions and millions of dollars? How many of us would find it difficult to be morally consistent with Allah if he gave us more than we could ever have dreamt of? Now, I know what you're all thinking, right? We're all sitting here, and except for the one person here who's a millionaire, rootsdfw.org slash sustain, <laughs> except for the one person here who's a millionaire, everybody is thinking, yeah, you know, I would like to consider that I'd be the same person. I would like to like assume that, you know what, I'd be the same person. But the reality is, and may Allah protect us, that provision and prosperity is a test. And we learn this from the Quran. Allah mentions in some ayat, you know, we talked about the becoming a friend of Allah, the last one of the last series that we did with Prophet Ibrahim. Prophet Ibrahim had a, uh, an, an interlocutor, right, a debate. Somebody debated him, the king of his time, Nimrud debated him about what? About Allah. Is Allah our Lord or is he not? And a lot of times we think that this debate was like in earnest. But one thing that you'll learn when you read this, the life of the Prophet ﷺ and you look at all of these uh, uh, stories of prophets is that one of the reasons why these people did not want to accept prophets and prophecy from prophets is because it challenged their power. Right? It challenged them. So when the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, when he received revelation in Mecca, he was beloved. He was beloved by everybody. Nobody had a problem with Muhammad But when he received revelation and he was anointed and chosen as a messenger of Allah, now what happens? All of the Quraysh who are in charge they don't, they're not afraid necessarily of changing their life necessarily first and foremost. That's whatever, right? Many people change their life for different reasons. You get sick, life change, circumstance, climate, whatever. You have to change because of this and that. But what would have changed that would have bothered them was that they would have no longer been the people in charge. Now you have to submit to the prophet of God. And in that submission of, Allah, of the Messenger of Allah, you are no longer the head honcho in Mecca. Now the same thing happened where? In Medina. When the Prophet ﷺ migrated to Medina, there was a group of people who portrayed themselves as, as believers, but in fact they were not believers. They were called hypocrites, munafiqun. And what they did was that they portrayed themselves as being those who believed in Allah when it was convenient. Because why? Because now Muslims in Medina, Medina's popping off. There's a lot of Muslims there. Zakat is being offered to Muslims who need help. You're being protected by the army, etc., etc. But anytime things got difficult, what did these munafiqun do? They would run away. And so there became a distinction now between what? People who were sincere and people who were insincere. Okay? So 
Think of this now. The Prophet وسلم, he comes as a messenger and all of those people in charge are now what? Are now afraid, they're concerned, they're worried about losing their power and they reject Allah not based on the merit of the argument but based on the merit of what? Their fear of not being in charge. And we even have stories, believe it or not, in Mecca of the Prophet وسلم, sitting by the Kaaba as was his habit reciting Quran and you have Abu Jahl you have Akhnas bin Shuraik you have all of these people the enemies of the Prophet self-identified enemies haters of the Prophet and what are they doing? they are sneaking around the Kaaba because it's a, it's a cube structure they're listening to the recitation of Quran but none of them know that the other one is there and as they're leaving this gathering, they bump into each other. This is a hadith, authentic narration. They bump into each other and they see each other and they ask each other, what are you doing here? And they kind of lie. And this happens a couple nights in a row. Finally, on the third night that this happens where they accidentally bump into each other and they say, what are you doing here? Right? And this is a very serious question. It's not like when you see your friend at Kawa House, you're like, what are you doing here? And you realize you're both single. Anyway, so... They ask, what are you doing here? And then who out of everybody? Abu Jahl says what? We all know why we're here. Abu Jahl, guys. Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl. He says we all know why we're here. They look at him shocked and he goes, Akhna says to him, is this the truth? The recitation. Is this the truth? Abu Jahl doesn't just say yes. You know what he says? Of course it's the truth. Of course. Have you ever known Muhammad وسلم, to tell a lie? Have you heard how beautiful the message is? Have you, have you seen how incredible this prose, this message? Of course it's the truth. He, he tells the other guy off, of course it's the truth. And he goes, but we cannot accept it. We cannot accept it. This is the height of the disease of the heart. You want to you know what the disease of the heart does? The disease of the heart grows and it metastasizes and it becomes a spiritual obstruction to Allah and you could see the example and the and, and the, the the demonstration of the divine right in front of your eyes and you will come up with a million excuses for what it is without acknowledging that it is Allah I, I, I love when I meet young people that are studying medicine not in the same way that your parents love it because anytime they take like a, a biology class or like an organic chemistry class, or some kind of class that demonstrates the reality of the creation of Allah, they all come back saying the same thing, which is, I can't believe someone doesn't believe in Allah. I cannot believe that, right? See, us English majors, I was an English major, like we don't get that. We're like, I'm sick and tired of reading Walt Whitman, right? Many others don't, but people who study the creation of Allah, they walk out of that classroom and they say what? Subhanak, la ilaha illa an, subhanak, right? And they say, Rabbana ma khalaqta hadha ba'atila. Like, oh Allah, you did not create this for no reason. Okay? So even in the creation of ourselves, there's a reminder that Allah exists, but the heart can become so jaded, so clouded, so just destroyed by these diseases that a person rejects it. So let's talk about some of these examples. Now, if you put yourself in the shoes of Abu Jahl, Okay, 
Who was Abu Jahl friends with? He was friends with a lot of people. He had some friends, Abu Sufyan. He had some other friends, okay? Abu Lahab. These were all the leaders at the time. Now, some of them, they lived and they died as enemies of the Prophet ﷺ. But one of them in particular, Abu Sufyan, he actually ended up accepting Islam. And do you know how he accepted Islam? When did he convert to Islam? He converted to Islam when the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ returned back to Mecca during the opening of Mecca, the conquest of Mecca. Do you want to know what that was known as for those who were living in Mecca that, was, that were not Muslim? It was their darkest day. It was their saddest day. They lost the empire. Mecca had fallen to the Muslims. And Abu Sufyan, realizing his position against the Messenger of Allah for so long, what did he do? He ran. He left. And the Prophet sent somebody after him saying, bring him back. Bring him back. I'm not going to harm him. I want to talk to him. I want him to see that we are willing to work with him. And Abu Sufyan now, sitting in 2024, when we say his name, we say what? May Allah be pleased with him because he passed away as a Muslim, as a Sahabi. So look at how what he feared the most, Muslims coming and conquering Mecca, became actually the ticket to his salvation. So he says here, tribulation and hardship prevents one from evil, from vanity, from boastfulness, from arrogance, from ostentation and oppression. These are all diseases of the heart that can only exist when times are good. When times are bad, nobody is being vain. Anyone here take a lot of selfies and you got that pimple? No. You're like, get this side please only, right? Anyone here is excited to take pictures when they, you know, uh, uh, when they don't look particularly their best? No, of course not. Vanity only shows up when times are good. What shows up when times are bad? Modesty. Humility, right? It's like when I eat a little bit too much, then I start wearing the thobes. You know, when I don't eat a lot, I'm, I can wear the, you know, a little bit more fitted. When I eat a little bit too much, the thobes got to come out. Brother, you're looking good. Yeah, mashallah, you know. If the thobes get tight, you have a problem. Right? If the thobes get tight, you have an issue, Okay. They're either too fitted or you become, right, similar to fitted, but change one letter, right? Okay, so, so subhanAllah, when a person is being tested, modesty shows up. Humility appears. A person lowers their head, right? That's the nature. But here's what, here's what this all prepares us for. And I'll, I'll save this for the end. There is a time when a person can be modest and humble even in good times. And we'll get there, inshallah. So he says, it prevents you from vanity, from boasting. What do you boast about when you're in a difficult moment? What do you show off about when you're in a difficult moment? Ostentation, showing off. Is it possible to show off when you've been tested? No. Arrogance. What is the definition of arrogance? You think you're better than somebody else. When Allah tests you, he reminds you that, you know what? There's no reason for you to think that you're better than anybody. Right? Allah Ta'ala sometimes, He humbles you. One of, the, uh, you know, one of the statements that I read before regarding uh, humility was that sometimes Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala puts so much on you. Imagine on your shoulders, just wait, 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 that the only logical place for you to go is to put your head on the ground. You can't stand up against the weight anymore. You have to submit. You have to make sajda and you have to submit to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. So then he says, if Nimrud who was the king that debated against Ibrahim, 
if he were weak and feeble and struggling, then he would have never ever gone against Ibrahim. Why? Because Allah says, Alam tara ila Ibrahima fi rabbihi. Have you seen the one who debated Prophet Ibrahim against his Lord? And when he describes why, he doesn't say he was intelligent. He doesn't say that he had a good argument. He doesn't say that he was really hard-headed and difficult to, to convince. What does he say? He says, "An atahu Allahu al-mulk," because Allah gave him a kingdom. When Allah gave him a kingdom, all of a sudden now he feels what? I mean, I'm king. Is a king ever wrong? Is a king ever incorrect? There's a story that Ibn Kathir, he talks about Fir'aun. This is a story that I told before, you probably know it, which is Fir'aun, in order to convince his people that he was truly like God, right? And he quotes that next. He said that if Fir'aun were weak, he would have never said, Ana rabbukumul a'la. I am your Lord the Most High. Fir'aun never would have said that if he were what? If he had diarrhea that day. There's no way. How can a person who is sitting, hugging the toilet, their new best friend, Say, I'm God. No. My mom actually, subhanAllah, you guys don't know this, but my mom was here last week hidden like a secret shopper in the audience, okay? My mom, <laughs> she, she always used to say, whenever we used to miss prayer or like do something just knuckleheaded, just absolutely spiritually stupid, right? I'm going to quote that. I'm going to patent that. Spiritually stupid, S2. Okay, so, because there's kids here. I'm sorry. Off one. Whenever we used to do something so spiritually dumb, my mom would say, don't go to the bathroom today. Don't go to the bathroom today. And again, when you don't have to go to the bathroom when you're a kid, you're like, okay, I got this. And then all of a sudden, your mom gives you coffee and prunes. <laughs> and you're like struggling. And she's like, don't go. And you say, why? And she said, because you are weak. You cannot exist without Allah. A proof of that is that you have to go to the bathroom. You can't hold it in. Forget it. You can't even control your bowels. What makes you think you can control the universe? So Fir'aun had this moment, I am your Lord the Most High, proclaiming it to all of the people who would listen to him. Ibn Kathir, he talks about Fir'aun. He says Fir'aun actually got so intoxicated by his own delusion that he used to have an open cow healing for all of the farmers. The farmers would come from the villages throughout Egypt, they would come to the kingship of Fir'aun and they would bring their cows that were sick. And Fir'aun would say, I can heal your cows. I can heal them. So then they would turn in the cow. Fir'aun would go, sorry, not him. He would have his, his uh, viziers, right? His court. They, his workers would go into the stable. They would find a cow that looked like that cow, same color, same marking, same spots. They would bring the cow out and they would say, Fir'aun, the Lord has cured your cow. And the farmer would walk away. You know, Fallahi, man, poor guys. Wow, you know, they go nuts. Fir'aun really is God. He really is God. After doing this enough times, right, the law of supply and demand kicks in a little bit. Everybody hears about it. They bring their sick cows. Before you know it, what happens to the inventory? You're running dangerously low. So then he says, you know what? We need to do another cow healing Bring everyone, bring their cows. I will heal them. His minister goes to him and says, we don't have any more cows. And Fir'aun says, what do you mean? He says, uh, Fir'aun, we don't have any more cows. He's, he's secretly telling him. Fir'aun goes, what cows? 
the minister says, the ones that we've been healing, we don't have any more to give out as healed. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm healing them. And he became so deluded into his own falsehood. Why? Because Allah gave him power. You know, when they say drunk with power, it is a real thing. A person can become so convinced that because they've been given prosperity, that they are untouchable. That they are untouchable. And we look now at the geopolitical reality that we're witnessing. There are countries that are behaving with such reckless abandon as if they're untouchable. Dropping bombs, killing children, as if nothing will happen. The, the question is, do you not believe that there is a Lord above you? Do you not believe that there's a day that you will have to answer for? Those people that you're killing are already with Allah. But one day you're going to have to stand in front of that same Allah and Allah will ask you, did you kill this person? What sin did you kill her for? And that army soldier, general, lieutenant, whatever, the person, the congressperson who signed it, who funded it, who sent it, the manufacturer who built it, the person who shot it, they're all going to stand there on that day before Allah, the real rub. And that's why as believers, we cry, but after we cry, we say, oh Allah, hasbunallah wa ni'mal wakil. We say, Allah, I can't wait till that day. I cannot wait, Allah, until the day Oh Allah, forgive me and be merciful with me and forgive those who want your forgiveness. But oh Allah, those who have declared war against you and your and the ummah of your messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa Allah, be just with them. Be just. And when I say just, I mean give justice to them. Place your justice upon them, Ya Rabb. Amin Ya Rabbil Alameen. So here, Al-Izmin Abdul Salam says that part of the problem is that you, when you receive, you fall into a state of delusion. And you think that, you know what? Everything must be good. He quotes another ayah. He says, That these people were only uh, problematic, vindictive. They were only troublesome. Because Allah and His Messenger had given them a little bit of space. He had given them some of their bounty. This is so true, subhanAllah. You know, as, as it's interesting because even in society, you notice that they say there's an English phrase. You give someone an inch, they take a mile, right? And this is what Allah is saying here. Allah and his messenger gave you an inch and you became evil as a result of that, right? My mother always would tell me, until today, she warns me, do not ever let the blessing of Allah that he has given you become a reason that you become further away from him. Because now the blessing became a punishment. Allah gave you something and you decided to make that blessing a reason why now you drift further away. It's no longer a blessing. Now it's a test and you failed. But if Allah gave you something and in your mind and heart you said, you know what? This blessing is truly from Allah. Without Allah, there is no blessing. Without Allah, this isn't here. Then a person all of a sudden uses that opportunity to what? Draw nearer to Allah, closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah ta'ala make us those who recognize his blessings. Kalla, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Inna insana la He says, no, absolutely, human beings are always out of control. And, and look, I don't want this to be a situation where people feel like, man, the Quran is, is harsh. 
Because it's really not. The ayat of, 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 of mercy and rahmah, Allah says it himself in Hadith Qudsi, in the rahmati taghlibu ghadabi, my mercy outweighs my wrath, for sure. But look, man, when the, when the ayat hit, they hit. You just have to read them. Allah says human beings tend to be uh, very, like, just absolutely unbridled, out of control. Why? What leads to that distancing from Allah? They see themselves as being what? Self-sufficient. You don't got to worry about anybody. It's, it's like, think about a child. A child telling their parent that, you know what, you're the worst. You're the worst Baba in the world. You're the worst Mama in the world. Alhamdulillah, this hasn't happened to me yet. I have candy in the back pocket, always. I'm the worst what, right? No, think about that. And then what happens? I mean, you, you guys may have heard it even in your own upbringing. Any criticism of your parent, right? What do they say? Oh, you, so you think you can take care of yourself. That guy on TikTok's hilarious. Allah, that guy's so funny. It's, it's, like, it's like he's reading my memoirs. Uh, so y- y- you criticize somebody without realizing that even the very ability to criticize is something that they taught you. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us everything. Bayan. Oh my goodness. A person, the ability to even articulate and speak, Allah says, he taught it to you. He gave you the ability to speak. And a person has the audacity to complain about the one who taught him how to even complain. It doesn't make sense. Right? As they say, make it make sense. You can't. So, he says, you forget and you become deluded, again, drunk, thinking what? I'm good. I can take care of myself. Well, then what happens? That what? Allah Ta'ala says, eventually to Allah is your return. Eventually, going back to Allah is where you return. And the scholars say this can mean two things. Number one, death. When a person passes away. You know, a few, just a few days ago, subhanAllah, we lost our brother Abdul Hadi. May Allah Ta'ala have mercy upon him. May Allah accept him as a shaheed. I don't know if anyone here had the opportunity, inshallah, you did to go and visit. Uh, 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 yesterday they had the aza, or we went to the janazah. I've never seen a janazah like that in my life. I've never, only one other janazah in my life that I've seen like that for Warath Deen Muhammad, rahimahullah. I've never seen a janazah. It was like eight times five. I, I, literally, people were parking wherever they could just to walk in and, and, and pray and ask Allah to forgive and to accept Abdul Hadi. Abdul Hadi, by the way, hard work every Monday. Used to hug me after every class if we could. Sheikh Mikhail's class Wednesday, every Wednesday. He was a regular here. One seat in this room is empty. That was his seat. Right? Now, what makes someone like that so special that everybody, that every single person that knew him, that, uh, that, that met him, said only good about him and that made time in a cold day, on a day that was raining, to go and to pray janazah behind him, is that he was somebody that exuded humility. He exuded humility. May Allah Ta'ala give him the highest level for dos. May Allah Ta'ala accept from him and make it easy for his parents and his family. I can't imagine how difficult it is. May Allah Ta'ala make it easy, subhanAllah, and give them strength. But let's talk about one thing here. And this is a lesson for everybody, man. And I want to just make this very, very clear. When we attend a janazah for somebody, it's not the time to talk about plans for the weekend. It's not the moment to talk about investments or it's not the moment to talk about anything really. It's just a moment for silence. 
it's just a moment to sit and reflect. You know, when I was walking out of the, the masjid, I, I, I just thought to myself, like, that's it. You just live and then you're not alive anymore. And the only thing that matters is what you did when you were alive. Every other aspiration, every other plan, every other hope and goal, you will have a list that will be unfulfilled. All of us here. The only thing that we hope for is that when we die, we're ready to meet Allah. May Allah give us that good ending. And this ending that Allah gave Abdul Hadi, without a doubt, without a doubt, is from Husn al-Khatima. Even though it's tragic, and even though it's unspeakable how painful it is, can you imagine that the, the masjid with such short notice, you know, I know people who flew in for the janazah. They texted me, what time is it going to be at? My, I have a flight, I can get there at this time. I know people who did that. Everyone canceling everything, going what? And many people not even really knowing him that well. This is a sign that Allah loves somebody. And I pray that Allah gives us whatever secret Abdul Hadi had. Whatever secret he had that made him this close to Allah, may Allah grant us this secret. Right? But realize, brothers and sisters, that this, this as Allah Ta'ala says, to your Lord is your return, that is the reality for everybody. That is the reality for all of us. And that's the only thought, that's the only idea that can deflate the sense of self-sustenance. When a person realizes that I will return to Allah, I cannot return to Allah thinking that I am all good and that I'll take care of myself. Allah Ta'ala, He says, وَلَوْ بَسَطَ اللَّهُ الرِّزْقَ لِعِبَادِهِ لَبَغُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ That Allah says, if He were to open the expanses, and this is a scary verse. When we say the word, like for example, Abdullah, how do you translate Abdullah? Servant of Allah, worshiper of Allah, slave of Allah, right? It's a good title. When we say that I'm a servant of Allah, that's a good thing, right? When, when, when Isa السلام, was born, what were his first words? Inni Abdullah. I am a servant of Allah. It's, like, it's, 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 it's actually not a title, it's an esteemed rank to be a servant of God. And when somebody is a servant of Allah, that means that they've put in the work. They've done good. They've connected to Allah. That's why this ayah is so scary. Because when Allah talks about the person who falls into tyranny and into mistake, He doesn't call them a human being. He doesn't say a human being will do tyranny on earth. No, He says, li'ibadihi. When Allah opens the door of provision, basata means to like flood. When Allah gives you the ranks of provision, to his servant, that servant is vulnerable now to spreading corruption on the earth. You know, how many of you have ever wondered why you didn't get that job? Or why you didn't get the house? Or why you didn't get the contract? Or why that marriage proposal? How many of you have wondered, like, why? Everything looked good. Why are my promotions going so slowly? Why are the situations not evolving the way that I thought they were? And it seems like it's actually like at a snail's pace. I've always felt bad for snails when we say that. They're going fast in their world, right? But at a snail's pace, you're doing everything you can and it's incremental growth. You've done everything you can and it's just a little bit further. One inch, one fraction more. That's it. Have you ever thought for a second 
that maybe Allah is holding back the floodgates from you. Why? Because water is good, but when it floods you, it could drown you. We all need water to live. But if someone were flooded with water, it could take their life. So Allah is giving you. He's giving you. But He's giving you at a pace that you can handle and that I can handle. And instead of sitting and questioning, Oh Allah, why? Why haven't you given me more? Why didn't you give me this, this, this? The question then is, why am I not grateful for what you've already given me? I'm spending more time complaining that you didn't give me enough instead of being grateful that you already gave me more than I deserve. When the Prophet ﷺ was met by a man who came to him and he said, my heart is hard. First of all, can you imagine the awareness that a person has to have to come to the Prophet of Allah وسلم, and say, I have a problem. The Prophet وسلم, said what? He said, go and pat the head of an orphan. Because why? When you interact with that child, you will feel nothing but gratitude to Allah. Because when you see, when you see what you have and what they have, you will be ashamed to even have the thought of saying, I want more. I know it's not happy. I know it doesn't make us feel good. But sometimes we need to get that little bit of a reality check. Right? May Allah Ta'ala make those reality checks further between for us. May Allah make us soft-hearted so that we all feel this without having to be reminded, Ya Rab. And may Allah Ta'ala be gentle in His reminding of us. So remember that your worship and your piety and your religiosity does not save you from making this mistake. It does not. Who was Iblis before he became Shaytan? Who was he? Iblis was one of the great worshippers of Allah before he became shaitan. He was given a status, a position. You know, what he, you know what it was? His status, his position was that he was with the angels. He was at the rank of the angels without being an angel. It's like, you know, it, it, it's like being in a, 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 if somebody's a freshman in high school or in college or whatever, and they've already made the team, freshman in high school is on varsity, you're like, wow, you know? Freshman in college is starting in the, you know, in the SEC. You're like, wow. Or they have these college guys and they play summer league with the NBA. And this guy dunks on LeBron. You're like, oh my goodness. This was his situation. He was so accomplished as a worshiper that he was with the angels. That was his status. And by virtue of that status, when Allah created Adam, our father, and Allah said, bow to Adam, Iblis said what? No. Why? Is he with the angels? I'm with the angels. Where's he? He's brand new. What has he done? What has he accomplished? You made, I'm better than him. You made me from fire. You made him from clay. Iblis became so intoxicated by the position that who gave him? Who? Who? We need more consensus. Who? Allah. That he went against who? Make it make sense. It doesn't make sense. Allah gave him that status. And then Allah said, Oh, you who the one I gave this status to, just bow. Just bow once. And instead of just doing it, he had to say what? No, it doesn't make sense to me. There's a scholar who said, Iblis missed one sajda and he was sent to hellfire for eternity. Ya Allah, how many sajdas have we missed? How many have we missed? And we're waiting for what? For the, for the motivation to make sajda. As if we need it. Allah gave us the ability the capability, Allah gave us the resource, He gave us everything. Don't let it be a means of your transgression. We ask Allah to protect us. 
And then Allah Ta'ala, when He describes those people who are tested, He says that this is why in Elizabeth Abdul Salam He comments and He says, Those people who have been tested the most are the Prophets and those who followed them and those who followed them. And this is what I hope to accomplish in this class for myself and for all of us is a long-lasting shift of paradigm that we no longer see a person that is given something materially in a way that is luxurious or in a way that is plentiful and we assume that they are now one of God's favorite and we see somebody that has been restricted or deprived or tested and we see them as someone being punished I pray that we leave if anything at all this gathering believing that a person's material status does not indicate their position with Allah. In fact, Islam, our tradition, is so against this idea that the opposite is taught. The person that you see who is under the bridge asking for help is a person who may be closer to Allah than the one who's safe and warm in their bed. And this is not a statement of motivation or inspiration. It's a statement of fact. It's a statement of reality. And it's why when we live as Muslims, we should move differently than others. What was an example of the Prophet ﷺ? Did he change his character when someone was wealthy or poor? Did he change his character whether a person was an Ivy League grad or a person didn't even finish high school? Did he change how he spoke to somebody? No, not at all. He didn't change a single thing about his demeanor. In fact, he became more energetic and engaged when he met people that everyone else looked over. I was just with Sheikh Yahya Rodas, may Allah Ta'ala preserve him. In the lobby of Qalam, we were standing and we were talking. We had uh, some time here. We made our way over there. We were talking, we were standing, right? And of course, he's a big Sheikh. Sheikh Yahya is like, man, subhanAllah. I asked him to teach. He was here on a Monday. I said, please come teach. He said, no. I said, Sheikh, please. He said, la, 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 I'm going to come benefit from you. I said, listen, if we're going to start talking crazy, I can talk crazy too. You're not going to benefit from me, Sheikh, please. And he was like, I would love to, but he was here for work. So I, didn't, I wasn't able to, but inshallah, we'll bring him back. Okay? Incredible scholar, big scholar, student of Habib Omar, like one of the greatest and largest scholar that lives in, in this time, Habibullah. We were in the lobby and I was facing the wall and he was facing uh, the lobby behind me. So I couldn't see anybody. I was just talking to him and it was him. As we were talking about something, and I'm not a boring person, his face lights up. And he goes, you know, like as if he just saw like a dignitary. Assalam. And, you know, puts his hand on his heart, you know, just very like kind, as if he, it reminded me as if he saw someone he's known for like 10 years. That salam, you don't use that for everybody. You don't. You can't. Right? I look behind me. Can I tell you who I saw? Wallahi, I didn't even say, I have not told this story to anybody. You want to know who I saw behind me? I was expecting to see Sheikh Abdel Nasser, Mufti Kamani. I was expecting to see anybody, anybody that I recognized as being someone that he, I saw the janitor of this building. And you know what's crazy? Betty took Shahada two years ago. And I didn't tell Sheikh Yahya she was Muslim. But he said, Salam. And she doesn't wear the hijab yet. And I, inshallah, I'm not going to pressure her. It's not my job. It's your job. Uh, so, 
she, I asked him, I go, how did you know she was Muslim? And he just smiled. A person whose heart is that pure, Allah gives them, Allah lets them see things that we can't see. Why? Why did Allah give his heart that ability? Because he's somebody that it doesn't matter if he's meeting the deen or the students or the janitor, he's going to give them the same salam. We have to look at ourselves. We change our disposition in how we meet people based on how we can read them. This is not the Prophet ﷺ's example. And if that was his example, how would you be able to explain that the first people that accepted Islam were those people that society overlooked? The first people that accepted his message were people that nobody wanted to associate with. The poor, the weak, the destitute, those that society had no interest in. So we do not, as Muslims, ever mistake or conflate that if Allah gives, it must mean he loves. And if Allah takes, it must mean he hates. No. We say Allah loves and Allah does not love, not based on the provision, but on the response of the person who he's dealing with. If Allah gives and the person stops worshiping Allah, that's a failure. If Allah takes and the person says, oh Allah, I'm still with you. I'm with you. I'm fighting uphill. I'm swimming upstream to you. Then know that you are more beloved to Allah than the one he has given millions and millions of dollars. Because your fight is more valuable to Allah than anything else. Omar one time was asked, who's better? The one who is sinless or the one who sins and asks for forgiveness? And he said, the one who sins and asks for forgiveness. And the person said, what do you mean? The one who is sinless never made the sin in the first place. Like, sure, repentance is good, but how can you say the one who made a mistake but fixed themselves? How can you say that that person is better than the one who never made the mistake? Omar said, do you know how hard it is to get up and climb after you've fallen down? That level of love for Allah can never, ever be the same as the one who's never had to climb. When you're climbing back to Allah, don't see it as that you're far away. See it as that you're closer. See it as that you're moving closer. You know those escalators in airports? And as you're walking, it looks like you're running and the person who didn't take it because they're too cool, 10,000 steps club, right? That's how when you climb to Allah, you're expedited. May Allah Ta'ala bring us closer to him. And that's why Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, when he talks about those people, he says, When he describes them, he says, they bore patiently by the things that they were rejected by. These prophets, they were patient when they were rejected. And the injury that they suffered. They never let that distance them from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, I wanted to close with a beautiful example. The Prophet ﷺ taught us in the hadith, the believer and the example of a believer. I want you to listen to this narration. He says, the example of a believer is like that of a plant. And the wind that is blowing is making the plant go left and right, side to side. He says, in this way, the believer will always be in a position of tribulation and trial. The wind is constant. There's no point, if you look outside, rarely do you see the leaves on a tree are still. There's always a little bit of wind. Sometimes it's more windy, sometimes it's less, but there's always wind. In that same way, your life and my life, sometimes there's difficulty, sometimes there's a lot of difficulty, and sometimes it's casual. Alhamdulillah, you take the good with the bad, you take the bad with the good. 
He says the believer, what, how did he describe it? Okay, like this. Stays there though. It's rooted. No pun intended. The example of the believer, or the disbeliever, sorry, is like the one that is a fresh, tender plant, the wind causing it to bend and eventually break, and it gets pulled out all in one moment. So he says the believer and the disbeliever are like two different plants. The first is the one that goes with the difficulty. The second is the one that tries to resist, but eventually bends and breaks. You know, the scholars wrote on this hadith that I thought something was so beautiful. They said the reason why the first plant was able to move, but the second plant wasn't, it was more rigid, was not because of the structure of the plant, but it was because, when the Prophet describes a believer, it's because of the trust that the person has in Allah. If you trust in Allah, you'll bend. Because you know what? The, when the wind stops, you're going to come back to the normal, the norm. But if you don't trust Allah, you try to hold your ground as hard as you can because you don't believe Allah will ever put you back. And then the wind gets so strong that instead of flexing with it, you're going against it and the wind eventually wins the battle. How do we prepare ourselves to be those people that trust in Allah? How many of us in here know Surah Al-Asr? Wal-Asr inna al-insana lafi khusr. Read it with me if you know. Right? Okay. So we're familiar with this surah. If you're not, it's okay. You can memorize it. It's short. This surah is on the greatest hits list for when you're running late for prayer. But this surah also possesses and contains in it many treasures. And it also contains the treasure for dealing with difficulty. Allah Ta'ala says in the beginning, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wal-Asr. He swears by time. The scholars write many pages on this. Why does Allah swear by time? There's a lot of reasons. I'll share with you one. Allah swears by time here, the Mufassirun say, because time is one of those few substances in reality that you absolutely have no control over. There's a lot of things that you control in life. Allah has given you, you know... <laughs> A little bit of control. But time is something you don't control. It's the one thing that devastates us. It frustrates us. We ask Allah for more time. Every time it's the weekend's over, we, oh man, Monday again, right? Except for hard work, alhamdulillah, right? Oh, Monday morning again. So time is just, it's a very interesting substance. Think about it from a physical standpoint. Time, it seems to bend, right? When you're in a situation that you enjoy, time goes quickly. When you're, in, when you're in a situation you hate, time moves slowly. But it's all the same. One second is one second, one minute is one minute. There's a lot about time that we don't know. And Allah swears by time because the scholars say Allah wants us in that moment that we reflect on time to remember that we actually can't control everything. And if there's, a, if there's one thing, if I was talking to somebody in an elevator and that person said, tell me about trials in your religion, the one thing I would say to them is, you don't control everything. That's the only one-liner that I could give that I think would give them enough to realize, okay, that's my starting point. So Allah swears by time. Why does Allah swear by time? Because he's saying, you don't control time. Who does? I do. Inna insana lafi khusr. Inna is like emphasis. Al-insana 
human beings. La, another emphasis, fi in khusr. Verily, without a doubt, all human beings are in a state of what? Loss. This is true. You were the youngest you'll ever be right now, right? And then you're getting older and older and older and older continuously. Every second passes. Every minute passes. Time kind of moves like that. When we call years, when that passes, your knees start to hurt. Your back starts to hurt, right? You pull your back getting dishes out of the dishwasher. That's a new one. I'm so old. I just turned 36 last, uh, last Wednesday. I'm so old, alhamdulillah. I enjoy it, by the way. Aging is not a bad thing for me. When I see gray hairs, I get excited because it just means that I can get upset with people and they'll forgive me, right? <laughs> but I was sitting in the office with Ustad Ubaidullah, who is the teacher for Arabic for year one here, and I reached down the floor to pick up my... I, I dropped my protein bar. I reached down the floor to pick it up, and uh, I was going to say chocolate bar, but I didn't want you to judge me. It's a, pro, it's a chocolate protein bar. So I picked it up. And I moved so slowly that the five-second rule expired, right? So that's how slow I was moving. But as I reach for it, Ustad Ubaidullah goes, careful. And I go, and, and without, he, without him even explaining, I go, I know, man. You know why? Because we're both in our 30s. We're not young like you guys, man. You guys can, like, do a handstand, pick it up, pop it open, and then sit back down, land in your mouth. For us, picking something off the floor is a state of desperation. Ya Allah. That's why we say, Ya Allah. Because we, we have to protect ourselves. No one, I got to provide for my family, okay? So time, when, when, when we, you look at time, as funny as we laugh because it's true. When you look at time, you realize something. My son just turned seven, man. MashaAllah. My son turned seven and he lost his teeth in his front. And wallah, he was sleeping one night. I looked at him and I thought he was a baby again. Where did it go? Seven years. I only got two more rounds, right? Till he's 21, and then he's going to be here listening to some other guy. <laughs> right? Not as funny, but we'll, we'll work on it, right? I look at my daughter. She's five. SubhanAllah. And I'm, where did it go? Time moves. Whether or not you are ready, it's going to keep going. <laughs> Human beings are in a state of loss. Allah is not proposing that as an idea. He's stating it as a reality. Because if you can accept that reality and you realize how dire it is, you'll be ready for the next task. Except for those who believe. See, Allah never presents a problem without providing the solution. So when a person realizes that time is running out and I feel like I'm losing out, and I'm, hitting, I'm being hit with trial after trial after trial. I mean, trials wouldn't even be as bad if it weren't for the restriction on time. Except for those who have faith. Why is that the first step? Because where can we go in life if we don't know the direction we're supposed to go? Your iman is your map. Your iman, your faith, tells you right from wrong. It's the sun that gives you the ability to see the light that shows you the illuminated way. And iman shares the same root word as safety, aman, which is what? It gives you security. When you see the lights are on, when you see that you feel more safe being in a place. I'm 36. I still get scared of the dark a little bit when you know what I know. Anyways. <laughs> Illa
your iman motivates you to do good deeds. Now, when you have faith and you try your best, what is the next reality in your life, in your test? You have to surround yourself with good people. وَتَوَاصَوْ bilhaq, Those people who encourage you to do good towards truth. وَتَوَاصَوْ sabr. There are four things in this surah that Allah Ta'ala tells us, and we recite this all the time. But if we acted on these four things, we would find ourselves able to withstand the waves that were crashing upon us. Number one, when I'm being tested, I have to check my faith. Where am I in my relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala? Have I been neglecting Him or have I been investing in Him? Which one? Am I getting closer or further away? No one's standing still, by the way. You're not standing still. Am I getting closer to Allah or am I moving further away from Allah? That's a question that I have to answer. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ amanu. Where is my belief in Allah? Do I prefer things over Him? Do I choose things over Him? Do I delay going to Him because I prefer something else? Where am I with my belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ And I can say that I believe in Allah all I want, but what is my resume looking like? It, there's a huge difference between somebody who claims something and someone who can show their work. So if a person wants to show their faith in Allah, ask yourself, what have I done? It's easy to update your Twitter bio, right? Believer, God first, right? Spiritual, religious, all whatever you want. Did you pray Fajr that morning? Did, did, did you even... <laughs> I once met a person who was not Muslim yet. That's not a threat, by the way, when I say that. It's just optimism, Right? If you're not Muslim and you're here, I'm not threatening you. Lock the doors. Uh, <laughs> it's just optimism. I met a person who was not Muslim yet. And they said something really profound to me. They said that if I believed that God sent me, because I said this, the Quran is the speech of Allah. It's God's message to humanity. And she said, if I believed that God sent me a letter, I would read it every day. And I was like, oh God. Because that's an indictment against me. Maybe many of us. What good deeds do I do for Allah? And when you are around good people, you remind each other of the truth, of your faith. You encourage each other. You give each other hope. You give each other strength. You give each other thabat. You give each other firmness. And after you believe and do good deeds and you're surrounded by people that remind you of the truth, what do you experience in your life? Sabr. Many of us want sabr without doing the first three things. We want to skip the line. Ya Allah, give me sabr. When Allah told you, believe, do good deeds, be around good people, and the result of that is what? Sabr. And this is why people who do these things will be patient even when armies drop bombs on them. You're looking at videos and you're wondering how is it possible? And Allah told you, these are those who believe despite the bombs they believe, despite the bombs they pray, despite the bombs they spend time with each other, reminding each other about their Lord. And the result of those three things is that they have this gold in their heart called sabr. We will never be able to achieve that patience with the test that we face unless we do what Allah gave us as a prescription for that sabr. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us patience.
We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us those who are content with what He has given us. We ask Allah to not test us beyond what we can bear. Oh Allah, we ask you to give us the strength and the courage to be able to handle the tests that you've put in our life. Oh Allah, give us the patience to be able to see what the purpose of the tests are. Oh Allah, allow those moments where we see the purpose of these tests to be reasons for us to come closer to you. Oh Allah, allow our hearts to be purified of the mistakes that we make. And oh Allah, allow our hearts to be absolutely connected to you, Ya Allah. And to those that you love and those who love what you love. Oh Allah, allow us to follow the example of the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. Allah, allow us to be like him in his character, in his speech, in his behavior, in the way that he interacted. Oh Allah, allow us to become people that represent him beautifully. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, that when we are tested and tried, that you do not let us be amongst those who question and resent you and turn against you. O oh Allah, but you make us amongst those who are patient, who are wise, and who are content with you, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, allow us to be content, Ya Allah, with everything you have given us. Give us ridha, Ya Allah. Allow us to be happy. Allow us to be satisfied, Ya Allah. Allow us that when we are tested with things, O oh Allah, we don't look at what we don't have, but O oh Allah, we're reminded of everything that we do have. Ya Allah, we ask you on this night where we finish these gatherings with no other purpose, Ya Allah, but to come closer to you. O oh Allah, we ask you to uplift and free our brothers and sisters across the world from their oppression. O oh Allah, we ask you to give them justice. O oh Allah, we ask you to give them safety and happiness and ease and tranquility, O oh Allah, like you have given many of us. O oh Allah, there are people in this room. There are people online listening. O oh Allah, there are so many individuals, Ya Allah, that their secrets and their pain are deep within their heart. Ya Rab, I have no idea as this faqir, this poor person who had to sit here and read this book to these people, Ya Allah, I have no clue the damage and the difficulty that people are going through, Ya Allah, but you know. And O oh Allah, you know their problem, you know their disease, and you know their cure, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, cure them of the challenges that they have, Ya Allah. Untangle the difficulties that they have in their life, Ya Allah. Give them ease, give them tranquility, give them prosperity, Ya Allah. And do not test them beyond what they can bear, Ya Arhamar Rahimin. O oh Allah, we ask you to forgive those who have passed away. O oh Allah, we ask you to accept the martyrs, Ya Rabbil Alameen. O oh Allah, we ask you to grant patience to those people who have lost loved ones, Ya Allah. O oh Allah, we ask you on this evening, on this gathering, Ya Allah, where last week we had Abdul Hadi in our gathering. Oh Allah, we ask you to include him in his hasanat as if he was here in this gathering, Ya Allah. To give him this khatima, Ya Allah, and to make every single person in this room, Ya Allah, a, a, a witness of his piety, his love for you, his devotion for you, Ya Rahman Rahimin. Oh Allah, we ask you to give us good faith, good health, barakah in our rizq. Oh Allah, we ask you to accept from us, to grant us a beautiful Ramadan, to allow us to reach your blessed month, Ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you, Ya Allah, by your names and attributes, to accept from us. everybody. again for being with us. Uh, for this series, um, inshallah, inshallah, next week we do not have heart work. Uh, we're taking one week off, um, inshallah, and we will be reconvening on the 26th. On the 26th, so the 19th, we don't have. We're starting our new series on the 26th. We'll announce next Monday what the new series is. Bi'idnillah, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakumullah khairan. Uh, Isha prayer is going to be happening momentarily in the musalla. So please, 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 everybody, uh, make your way to the Isha, uh, uh, to the musalla for Isha. If you sat on a chair, please help us by putting it away. If you sat on a back check, please help us by stacking it up front. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.